Hi, I'm Chelsea Neumeyer and I'm a time management and productivity coach. My goal is to help you go from overwhelmed to under control without a strict schedule or a bunch of productivity hacks. Each week, we'll talk about productivity mindset, actionable advice, my favorite resources, and you'll hear from guests just like you who are maximizing their limited resources. If you're anything like me, you're listening to this on the go, so check out the show notes and follow me on Instagram to learn more. Okay, let's start the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I am so excited to welcome Lex Roman. She is a former Silicon Valley growth designer turned small business growth marketer. She quit her fast-paced tech job to empower solopreneurs to get seen and get sales without being beholden to Google or Instagram. Lex is based in Atlanta, Georgia, and she works with people all across the United States. Thank you so much for being here, Lex. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Me too. I'm such a huge fan of your podcast. Oh, thank you. You're so sweet. It's been a lot of fun to put these together. So I'm excited to jump in to it with you. And I know I just read your bio, but I'd love to hear in your own words a little bit more about you and what inspired you to start your business. Yeah. So I'm Lex. My background is in conversion strategy for Silicon Valley companies. So I used to work with startups, growth stage companies, and enterprise companies in San Francisco and the Bay Area helping them grow from zero to infinity or helping them launch new products. And so a lot of that work was a lot of field work and experimentation and analytics, and it was pretty fast paced and very high growth focused. So a lot of tech companies want to grow <laughs> to infinity, as I like to say, into the billions, right? Infinite user growth, as we've seen with Facebook and Amazon yeah, and Google. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so... During the pandemic, I got pretty burnt out on the tech industry as a space. So even though I had already started a company, was my own working with tech companies in a consulting capacity, I just sort of hated, it was really hard, I think, during the pandemic to justify this like infinite growth when so many people were suffering and there was so much more to be focused on. And so I refocused on small business owners and that's what I do now. I work with solo business owners primarily, um, helping them sort of break through what I think is a really challenging wall of things like Google search and social media. Yeah, that's incredible. And so you mentioned your ideal client or solopreneurs. We were just kind of talking about this before we hit record, but what industries do they tend to be in or what kind of work are they doing? Yeah, I tend to work with folks whose business is actually primarily offline. So people whose service is in the real world and they don't know how to get seen because they don't have a brick and mortar storefront. Sure. So there's this sort of gap between the brick and mortar businesses and the online businesses where brick and mortar stores obviously have their storefront and some traditional marketing forms that they're used to. And then online business owners like you and me <laughs> have a lot of skills at our disposal and are super online people. And there's a space in the middle, people like general contractors, speech therapists, educational consultants who have, aren't really in either place, right? They're not really wanting to be online more than they need to. And they don't necessarily have an, an office or a a public facing storefront to promote their business. Yeah, that's great. Wonderful. I know marketing can feel like a really big, overwhelming term, at least to me, it could feel really big and overwhelming. So when someone reaches out and needs just a place to get started, what do you recommend that people look to as they start prioritizing marketing? 
it can be really hard to prioritize. I think this is like the solopreneur struggle yeah. is prioritization. <laughs> when it comes to marketing, I like to remind people that the most valuable audience is the one that you already have. So a lot of folks are looking towards strangers and new awareness for their business. And the easiest way to get that is actually from people you already know. So the quickest win is looking back at past clients, past referrals, past referrers, people who've referred business to you, people that you know in adjacent spaces who have a shared audience with you. And anyone who's like championed your work from the beginning, who's just like a big supporter of yours and thinking about how you can deepen those relationships, take them farther, either by turning them into repeat business or referrals, or also looking at things like partnerships, for example, co-hosting events, mm -hmm. going on each other's podcasts, speaking, co-creating content together. There's sort of always, I think people are used to receiving word of mouth referrals and they sort of wait for them very often, especially when they're early in their business, but you can drive them in many ways. And so thinking about the ways that you can drive them is your quickest win. And I think one of your highest priority, highest value activities. Yeah. Have you seen referral programs done really well like if you're if I was looking to start a, or build a referral program because I completely agree that it's kind of that 80 20 right most of our business is coming from those most loyal people and so building that referral program can be so incredibly powerful so have you seen it done well or where do you recommend people get started with that I would start simple. I think people think of referral programs as something that happens at like Target and <laughs> the grocery store and things like that. And they're like, ah, I don't know how to do that. I would start really simple by drafting an email, you know, email copy that's like how you want to get the referrals, what kind of people are your ideal clients, what you're offering, and then what the benefit is of referring business to you. So are you offering a revenue share? Are people part of some kind of special insider group? where they get freebies or they're part of a Facebook community you run, right? What's the benefit for doing that referral? And then think, sitting down to think about who could be a good referral partner for you. I think one of the easiest places for that is past clients who've been successful with you, just sending a reminder, you know, a month down the road since you work together, or if you have an ongoing partnership, you know, anytime you just had a win together, sending that note and saying, hey, if you know someone who would benefit from my services, I'd really appreciate a referral. Here's who I really love to work with. And here's what I'm great at offering. And by the way, if you refer, you get 5% back or 10% or whatever, right? That people really like the incentives. And I think folks think, oh, well, people know me and they already refer business my way, but it's likely that there's a portion of your audience that's not already referring business to you. That could be. Yeah. And I think one of a simple thing too, that I forgot to do when I got started was ask people for testimonials and that can go a long way. You know, they feel good. Typically our clients feel good about giving us those reviews and then you can use them in your outreach and to demonstrate success and, and wins. So that's just another or plug there. Cause I absolutely forgot to have any kind of form set up for yeah. collecting testimonials at the start. Testimonials definitely need to be part of your like client offboarding, or if you work continuously, like you have to have sort of a milestone where you're like, I need to ask for a testimonial at this point. I think also testimonials can, can be a great way to get messaging that you can use for asking for refer referrals or in your marketing pages, in your emails and other activities that you're doing too. So if someone's going to jump in and 
get started with some of these marketing initiatives, how do you recommend they start measuring their success or start to see where things are working and what's not working? I think for solo business owners, the most important thing to track is lead sources. So where are your leads coming from? And for many of us, we're relatively low tech on that. We mostly use something like a contact form or email, sometimes DMs. And so, you know, putting in your contact form, how did you hear about me? Where did you find me? Can be a great way to track whether or not marketing activities are working. You can also ask about that in sales conversations, or if someone emails you out of the blue, you can just hit back and say, Hey, great. We'd love to chat. By the way, how did you hear about me? I think that that manual activity, we forget to do that, but it can be really great to try to make sure that that's in any templates that you have that you're using in your business and that you make it part of your practice to always ask that. And so I use a CRM called HoneyBook. Do you use HoneyBook, Chelsea? I used Dubsado, but I've heard really okay. good things about Similar, HoneyBook. right? Yep. So both Dubsado and HoneyBook, you can track your lead sources really easily. You can track them off of that form. And if you hear about it in a different way, you can just change it in the, in the lead record. I think that is, if I was going to pick one way to measure, I would do that. I also like to look at traffic on your website. If you are using your website as a as like a portal into your services, like you're sending people there often and it's a key part of your business. I think it can be a good leading indicator of marketing activities that are for first touch awareness, right? Like someone heard you on a podcast or they read a blog post or something and maybe they haven't reached out yet, but at least you know that marketing activity got them interested. So I've been using a tool called Plausible, which is a Google Analytics competitor. I think it's a lot easier to use than Google. Um, I'm not like an affiliate for them or anything. Google is <laughs> totally fine if you like using Google, but I think you can look at your traffic sources too as a leading indicator. Mm-hmm. But if you're just going to pick the metric that matters, it's the lead sources. Yeah, that's really good to know. And it's, I remember just getting started as a business and I don't remember who exactly I was talking to, but they asked me where I'm like, oh, where are your clients coming from? And I was so embarrassed. I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and it can be a bit overwhelming because I feel like you can get really into the leads with it, right? It's probably where your background is, is following all those different sources and what pages are clicking on and the heat maps. And I feel like you could really get in the weeds and, and nerd out on the whole thing. But as someone who's doing this on their own, just getting started, I think to your point, asking them where they're coming from is a great place to start and making just a simple spreadsheet where you can track that information, see what's being successful, see where you can dig in more time. Because as eventually there's so many things we have to do. And so making sure that we're working on the right things at the right time is just going to be able to serve you better and other entrepreneurs see the growth there. Yeah. Sometimes just I'll have a conversation with someone who similarly was like, I don't know where people are coming from, but then just having that conversation and sitting down to think about it, they're like, oh, actually it's probably mostly this, or these are my top two referral partners, or actually I have that information. I just haven't looked at it. So yeah, often it's not that far out of reach. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And you mentioned plausible. Are there any other tools that you recommend someone can use? I mean, I like HoneyBook and Dubsado. Yeah. So I I definitely think a CRM can be good. Mm -hmm. And and there's obviously a lot of productivity benefits to those too. Um, I've been leaning more into HoneyBook because it allows me to store all those email templates where I can remind myself or the client to leave a testimonial and follow up and make sure I'm 
both providing an exceptional client experience and also following up and getting the value back into my business when I have those opportunities to. So I think that's what's cool about those tools is they double, you know, an operations tool as well as an analytics tool. I don't know. I wouldn't like go overboard on the analytics. Like I don't really bother too much with social media analytics or email analytics, unless I'm wondering about the effectiveness of a certain campaign, then I'll go in and look at those, but I don't like hook those up to any dashboards or anything like that. I think, I think for a solo business owner, unless you're like really into being online, I, I think it can be kind of a, a time suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the the HoneyBook and Dipsado because those are tools that from conversations I've had with some of my friends who are in this space as well, it requires a little bit of front effort to get them all set up. But once you are truly utilizing the tool to its full capability, they can be game changers and super comprehensive. So I highly recommend if you haven't already looked into a CRM like that, do it, but then also give yourself time to really invest in setting up the workflows and the templates and all those pieces of it as well. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I actually started using HoneyBook mainly because I realized that I wasn't following up with leads. Like I was dropping the ball on leads that I could have been following up with. And I just really wanted a place to put them all. And I didn't use a lot of the power of the tool until recently. I've been moving more and more of that, making more of that automation happen and and using the email templates more. And it is, it's really powerful. And it also, like, like we talked about, it delivers a great client experience too. So people like that. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it because I could send contracts and invoices, which was something that I was using like seven different tools before. <laughs> so I was grateful for the opportunity to get it all in one spot, have it like I fill in the payment plan that they're having. It does it for me in the contract and it's like all good to go. So it's, quite the success when it all comes together. I think. Yeah. Well, I would love now to talk about some of the behind the scenes of your work and your life. Again, I love having these conversations and getting to see how people spend their time. So would you walk us through what the average day or week in your life looks like? Yeah, it's funny. So when I worked in tech, my schedule was pretty hectic, right? I had like a lot of meetings. I did a lot of customer interviewing and was, you know, presenting out of my work all the time and designing and prototyping. And it was really hectic. And so when I started my business, I was immediately like, I don't want that for my mm -hmm. schedule. And I really focused on containing my services. So I do intensives rather than sort of like monthly retainers. And so I go really heads down with one client at a time. And so a lot of my schedule is really flexible. So I, I like, I'm really an aggressive time blocker and I spent a lot of my time focused on like long-term activities for my business, making sure my packages are strong, you know, creating templates and executing on the things I want to for my clients in advance, like, you know, coming up with systems for that mm -hmm. rather than sort of doing it heads down in a project, which makes my business more scalable, but also makes it less of a like pressure cooker and less of a like client back and forth. Um, so I have very few meetings. I think that it might surprise people how few meetings I have. I love that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I really, I, so I theme my days. I focus right. calls. So I only do one day a week as calls. Mm -hmm. so I do like all my intro calls and 
partner calls and coffee chats and stuff on that day. And I tend to put like any appointments that I have on those days to like where I have to go out of the house, go to the doctor or something, mm-hmm. because it's really distracting for me to have calls. And so I just like them to all be together. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Can't get anything else done those days. And then I do client kickoffs on Mondays and Fridays usually. So those are blocked off for those things. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays have like a rotation of themes from content creation to like finance and things like that. That's awesome. Do you time block your week like by the week then? Do you have like a a weekly routine that you use? I do. Okay. Yeah. So I have a, I put a daily theme on each day and then some of them rotate. So it's not like every Tuesday is the same theme. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I don't do finance every week. I just don't need to. I do it like once or twice a month. Yeah. And then I do like top three priorities for the week. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And that has like that exercise alone has like changed my life. Tell me more. What's been, what's been eye-opening about that? Well, I feel like I, I've always, like as a kid, I was always like a very busy person, right? Like I need to be doing stuff all the time. Like my grandmother used to joke. I was always, I had like seven things I wanted to do before breakfast. And it was just like, <laughs> I, I'm like a busy person. I'm, you know, and for a long time I equated busyness with productivity, right? Like yeah. I definitely was like victim of hustle culture, young <laughs> age. And as I got older, I was like, I just need to do the stuff that matters, right? I just need to focus on executing the things that are going to make my plans happen. And I've focused on getting better at that over the years. And so I do yearly planning, right? Where I focus on what I want to achieve for the year. And then I bring that down into the quarter and the month and the week. And I do like, I like to do top three because I am a big believer that you just can't do too much, especially as one person, you just can't. Yeah. Do too much. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, really that's great. Yeah. I love that you said that the busy, like the hustle culture, it's, it's something I talk about a lot. The, that being busy doesn't mean you're productive, it just means you're busy. And so there's, there's some negative connotations of that. Cause it's obviously very reinforcing of like that stress and that hustle and that got to keep going, but also that it's, you can, you can lose that on some opportunities because then all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, Chelsea's too busy to, I'm not going to bother asking because she's too busy. She's, you know, she can't do it. And so I'm glad that you've been able to shake that off and, and find this place where, I mean, how does it feel checking? Cause I'm sure you get more than three things done a week, but, <laughs> but even if you didn't, that's okay. But how does it feel to really kind of narrow down those three things and recognize that that means that there's things that aren't going to get done this week, right? Like what was that transition like for you or that thought process? It feels amazing. I mean, especially (laughs) after like working for other people. I mean, it is legitimately, if you have a job where you are accountable to other people or you have, even if you have a team, you know, it's a huge luxury to be a solo business owner, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really only accountable to myself. And that is just an amazing privilege. It's hard to imagine even being able to pull this off in some of my past jobs, right? And so I I sometimes, Chelsea, I'm not even going to lie. Sometimes I can't even come up with a third thing. I'm like, just these two things. And to be fair, the priorities for the week are not, it's not like send an email, right? It's like, you know, edit the videos for my programmers. It's a big task, right? And so, but it keeps me just focused. So in any given day, I'm like, the most important thing to get done this day is the videos. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to, I'm not going to do that other thing, which I would like to be doing. Cause I'm a spaz. I, you know, I want to 
do the thing that's going to drive my business forward. And yeah, it feels amazing to do that and to really focus on those things and to have the space in my schedule to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think that's important for people to recognize. So I'm really glad you said that it, when someone here is like, okay, pick your weekly three priorities. It's not the priority is not send an email as you mentioned, right? Like it's, if they're not, it's, it's more important stuff than that. But again, everything else kind of falls under that. And that's why when we talk about what a kind of a, a day looks like, it means that you're focusing on that top priority versus checking your email every five minutes because it's just able to kind of get you focused. So I love that. And I hope people start to consider really identifying what their priorities for the week are, because that can be really helpful. And as you mentioned, really focus your your time. I want to jump back into where you mentioned time blocking and that you are a big time blocker. So walk me through how you like to, I mean, you mentioned the themes, but do you block in bigger chunks? Do you give specific tasks and like, is your calendar a bunch of specific tasks or how do you like to do it? How do you like to break it down? So I used to, I used to do that where I would like block in everything. And I found that really constraining for me personally. I couldn't keep up with it. Like I, I guess what they call optimistic about my time, right? So I always think something's <laughs> going to take way less time than it's actually going to take. Like, you know, I know that I don't wake up before a certain time, but I always put something on the calendar before the time I wake up. And it's like, Lex, like, what are you, what are you doing? That's not going to happen, right? So I, I do it in a much more spacious way now mm-hmm. because I'm like adapting to my own abilities. And so I block off my morning where I like, no, I'm not going to wake up unless I have to. I block off that time. And I block off some evening time and then I sort of leave the rest open to the priority of that day. And the priority comes from my top three things, you know, for the week and the theme of the day. Mm -hmm. And so I really think about what do I need to get done? And I've also been thinking lately about what's a realistic amount of time for this thing to take. But I think just taking on less every day, just being... That has been a huge lesson for me because when I was younger, I would always be like, I'm going to get 20 things done today. And I was just like a stressed out zombie mm-hmm. when I was doing that. And it, it wasn't necessarily moving things forward. Like I'm just famous for taking on projects where like, especially like side projects, community projects, I used to do a lot of creative projects, like, you know, and I'm really in a moment of my life where I'm like, focus on the goal, right? Like, what is the goal? and and trying to eliminate those distractions so I'm finding that the spacious time blocking is working fine now that I've eliminated a lot of distractions in my life yeah oh it's so good so many things I want to touch touch on in there and I I love that you mentioned like that the spacious time blocking because I I like to talk about it in terms of giving giving yourself that space you know I don't I don't like seeing time block schedules that are like by the hour and super complicated and again to each their own and if it works for you like go for it but if you're intimidated by time blocking or you need to get started I like this approach much much better because it helps you estimate how long things will take exactly to your point right we you know there's a couple different principles that play into how optimistic we are about how much we can get done and you want to end your day feeling successful. So let's start with, you know, three to five things a day. If you get more done, that's awesome. If you don't, you got your, what you needed to get done today done. And, and that set yourself up for the win. It's kind of the best approach there. And was laughing when you talked about kind of adding all those extra side 
things to your life because I don't think I've had one job since I was more than, you know, I mean, just one job. I've had more than one job my entire life since I was 16 and including volunteering and, and all that. And to your point, I started recognizing what my goals were, what was most important to me and, and having to say no. Has it been hard to say no to some of those side opportunities or passions? Yeah. I mean, yes, yes and no. I think I think when you're working full-time, especially, or trying to make a transition out of full-time work mm-hmm. into like freelancing or solo business ownership or any kind of entrepreneurship, really, there's a lot of pressure to like do everything and like, you know, have a YouTube or like be an amazing community leader, whatever it is that you, that you do or what your space is. And many of us in, in the entrepreneurship space are like, as I say, multi-passionate. Yeah. <laughs> that term is so funny, but yeah. So you have like other interests and you're like, yeah, I also want to do that. You know, for a long time, <laughs> I was a dancer in college. And then just by happenstance, I moved to LA. I mean, I moved to LA intentionally, but by happenstance, when I was there, I met up with other dancers that I knew in college. And I ended up dancing for like 10 years after caught, like I never intended to be dancing. It was never a profession in my mind that I was going to pursue. And one day my accountant was like, you're spending so much money on dance. Like you're producing dance shows. And I had a film festival at one point, a dance film festival. And he was just like, Lex, like, what is this? This is like, this is like way too much for a hobby, but it's also like not a profitable business. Like cut it out. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, I think sort of being honest with myself about like, what is this pursuit? Is it a hobby that I just like genuinely Mm -hmm. enjoy? Is it a profitable thing that I expect to turn into a business? And if it is a hobby, like sort of like (laughs) pumping the brakes a little bit on how much I invest in it, how much time. I think with volunteer work, you know, that's been my biggest challenge because I've been, I've spent a lot of my time these last well, like probably like seven or eight years doing volunteer work and like putting rails on that sort of like protecting my energy in that way. Yeah. I, so last year I got diagnosed with a thyroid condition Mm -hmm. and it's made me a lot more aware of my energy levels. And so Mm -hmm. like, for example, I used to volunteer a lot on Sundays. And so I started to realize that I was really drained for Mondays and I like, wouldn't want to do things on Monday that I had to be really on for. So yeah, making some of those changes, that awareness, you know, it makes me feel wise and like <laughs> old. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I, that's great. Cause it is so, it's so, especially the volunteer work. I mean, that's what gets me too. Cause I've been, I mean, again, I work in the nonprofit space, but I've also been a volunteer. I've been a board member, I was in junior league for years and and really enjoyed it, met amazing people. And this is actually that I've took a leave of absence from junior year one because I moved out of the country and I didn't want to do it remotely, but also because I recognized that it's, it was taking up a lot of my time. And while I loved doing it, I really wanted to pursue my business and, and putting all my extra energy and effort there. And there's only so much to do, right? Like you can't pour from an empty cup. So it's great to have hobbies. It's great to have things that you love to do. But as you mentioned, those guardrails kind of keeping check on what you're filling that cup with is really, really important. Yeah. Volunteer work is such a rabbit hole. I think the other thing is like, I, during the pandemic, I went like hard on volunteer work and it started to become really obvious that I needed to find a more sustainable pace. And I think sometimes that pace is 
like tapping out for a little bit and knowing that you're going to come back to it because it's mm-hmm. a, it's like lifelong work, right? It's always going to be there for you. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, being aware of that, like the seasons of your life and like you said, not pouring from an empty cup, is it's pretty critical. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, this has been so fun. I love hearing again, all about your schedule. I think you have such a great mindset around how you build your schedule. I have a few rapid fire questions if you're ready. Okay. I'm ready. Are you a morning person or a night person? Night person, hands down. <laughs> you mentioned something about what your wake up time. In the oh morning, my God. So. If I could, I would wake up at like 4 PM. It seems ridiculous to do that, but yeah, I wake up late. <laughs> Good for you. I love it. I love it. Paper and pen or all digital? For paper and pen. I do use digital, but I'm a paper person first. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. And what is your favorite way to relax? My favorite way to relax, this is going to sound ridiculous, is go to the county fair. I'm obsessed with fairs. I think fairs are the best. Amazing. Because because I'm such a buzzy person in my brain, it's like, it's so much sensory input that I I relax and I like can't think about my to-do list. It's my favorite. That's perfect. Other good fairs in Atlanta. Need to get to? You know, I haven't been to any fairs in Atlanta. I used to go to the LA County Fair mm. every year. I was like a season pass holder, not to brag, but we've been looking. Actually, we just went to the North Georgia Fair, which was cool. I'm I'm working on it, working on building out my fair repertoire. That's good. Do you like the rides too then? No. Oh, oh my God. Okay. No, never do the rides. I mean, okay. I try to avoid the rides. If I bring friends and they're like, we got to do a ride, I'll do some of them. I don't super trust the rides. I'm there for the food. And the exhibitions. That's where I'm at too. Yep. Give me, I'll watch some horses and eat some fair food, but I get sick watching the rides go by. So that's not, that's not for me. I love watching people on the rides and going, wow, I would never get on that. And then going, I'm going to go see the competitive jams or whatever. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, Lexa, where can people find you if they want to learn more about marketing and the amazing work that you do? Yeah. If, if folks are interested in finding clients, I would love for them to connect with me. I'm at supereasydigital.com and people can find me at Instagram on Instagram. I'm at super easy. Does it. And there's a special discount for listeners of this podcast. So if you go to supereasydigital.com slash under control, you can find that info. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. And all of this will be in the show notes, but this has been so much fun. It was great to connect with you and thank you for sharing the amazing work that you do. Thanks for having me. Thank you for enjoying another episode of From Overwhelmed to Under Control. I hope you're feeling one step closer to your goals. Don't forget to check out the show notes and follow along on Instagram at Chelsea and Coaching. I look forward to talking to you soon.